0: Welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. My name is Dave Wright, co-founder and editor of Player Development Project. PDP is a website for coaches who are committed to learning, and we provide a huge library of resources which consists of cutting-edge insights from the world's most innovative player developers, coach educators, and researchers. If you want to learn from the best and join a community of like-minded coaches, then check out playerdevelopmentproject.com. On this week's Player Development Project podcast, we answer a question from our community. Hi everyone, my name's Dave Wright and welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. Delighted to be joined as usual by PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright. Dan, how are you? good thank you mate how are you i'm good i'm good looking forward to another community question and uh, it's coming via twitter from elliot and elliot has said how do coaches structure sessions is it using a technical warm-up arrival activities he's talked about opposed versus unopposed and he said look i know it depends on the topic but would love to hear some examples around typical sessions so dan what are your first thoughts around this one
1: It's another big question isn't it i think um where to start i think the the context of you and your team and your players, I think is, is probably the, the place that we should start. So um, it would depend for me on the individuals in the group, and it would depend on how many training sessions maybe we had a week, um, and then maybe you know on what day you're gonna focus on what. So if you're fortunate to have three or four sessions in a week, um, how you kind of manage the, the physical outcomes in, in relation to the game. And then in different sessions or different times of the, the week, you might focus on team stuff or curriculum stuff or individual stuff. Mm. That would be my, my snapshot answer. How about for you?
0: Yeah, I think it's a good place to start. So, I mean, if we take the first part of the uh, the question in terms of the structure of sessions – In a traditional sense through coach education, perhaps we've been taught about the ideas of of wave practices or technical practices or small sided games or these kind of ideas which have come through on traditional courses. Um, So I think that sort of gives you as a coach a little bit of a menu in terms of some ideas around how they work. And then conversely, in a more contemporary sense, ideas like uh, representative learning design and um, I guess the debate that goes on on social media and in the world of coaching around opposed versus unopposed is something that's worth covering here as well. So I think ticking off the sort of idea of the type of practice, again, it's relevant um, to your sort of context. Um, I like to use personally practices that are generally opposed or at least interference-based um, I think there is a place for unopposed practice in terms of that as a type of practice, but then you could use constraints. Uh, and again, to cite Jimmy Vaughan's work, I was having a conversation with him around this exact topic on unopposed practice and how you can constrain that. It may be that the condition of the practice is that there's no bubbles on the pass or there's certain types of triggers and behaviors that happen within that as opposed to a prescriptive unopposed practice. So that can be manipulated. So I guess that's a good place to start.
1: Mm, I think one of the, the challenges with the constraint-led approach is that it's getting morphed into a games-based approach mm. and they're not, they're not the same thing, are they? So you no. can have constraints on a wave practice, you could have constraints on um, a technical practice, you could have constraints on a, you know, a 1v1. So um, that might be a Q&A for another day. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that the t- traditional kind of coach education way would be uh, maybe an unopposed, isolated technique again, another Q&A for another day, <laughs> moving into a skill, so an opposed or semi-opposed uh, practice into a game. That, that mm-hmm. That's how I would have done my level one and my level two. And then um, in, the, in the UK, with the introduction of the kind of uh, youth awards, we were um, exposed, I suppose, to, to, to different types of practices, like I said, whether that's a wave practice, whether it's a uh, a squad practice, a functional practice, a small-sided game with, with equal or not equal numbers. And then moving through the kind of um, more formal UA for B and UA for A, you'd then talk about uh, phases of play. So that would be half-pitch or three-quarter-pitch practices with at least two units or yeah. a functional practice where you'd use part of the pitch geography. So, for example, if you're working with full-backs, you might funnel off and use one side of the pitch. Um, so so there really is loads of different ways to structure the actual practice design and the session design. Mm. Um, I think it'd be worth talking about the kind of um, balance of individuals versus curriculum versus reactive to to the game. Yeah. It'd be quite a a nice bit to come on next. How how would you um, kind of plan for individuals in your session or, or through the kind of the weeks and months.
0: Yeah, look, I think um, a lot of the time that I'm at the training ground working with players, I'll be having conversations with them. Okay, what are you thinking about right now? What, what would you like to work on? One player I'm working with at the moment um, is quite analytical and looks at lots of different components of his game to the point where I've said to him, look, let's just pick one thing for the next six weeks. And we'll just, we'll just look at that. So you go away and think about it. Um, And so he decided that movement would be what he wants to work on. He's a striker. He's looking at ways to get creative with his movement, use his body because he's a big physical player. Uh, And and really, that's the thing that we're trying to hone in on. So in terms of the way I'm observing, uh, I'm looking at those behaviors and saying, okay, how effective is the movement? When's it good? I'm affirming it when it's going well. Um, So whatever type of practice we're using, going back to the question – I'm looking at that as part of his individual program and the thing that he wants to work on technically or tactically, uh, however you see that sort of, that element. Um, I think from a personal level as well, there's also types of practice that whatever your philosophy or your view of coaching and and the game, um, that you'll probably lean towards. So, you know, if I'm doing... Some kind of passing practice, perhaps as a warm up, um, or I'm doing a warm up. I might say, Well, I want to include a ball in the warm up. I don't just want to have a, a static warm up. So I might do an interference passing practice and then time that so that there's some dynamics and there's some football movement in there and the players are getting activated. Um, Same goes when I'm looking at uh, a session on a given topic, I'm gonna look at, well, how does that look in the game and then try and work backwards from there. So I think within those different frameworks, then you can go, okay, well, tonight I'm gonna focus on individual A, B, and C. And then maybe the next night it's looking at a couple of different players, or it may be position specific or relative to the theme. If the theme lends itself to working with two center backs and we're playing out from the back, then maybe those two players will be the focus on whatever they're working on within that. So lots to consider, but I think it's really important not to overdo it from a coaching perspective in terms of the amount of individuals. You may not be able to get to 16 individuals on the night, but you might be able to work with three or four on one night, three or four the next, and three or four the next after that. How about you?
1: Yeah, I think um, you've made a good point about the the individual. So, so we bang on about planning for the individuals in the session, you know, a lot through these Q&As and through the kind of PDP message. I think one of the things that, that I've probably come a little bit more skilled about is trying not to affect every individual in every game. Like that that was kind of one of the messages that, that was encouraged in some of the coach education we've done. And it's unrealistic if you've got 12 to 16 players, you're not going to effectively um, help those in every single practice but then also be mindful that you've got you know football is now turning into a 12-month calendar but you've got (laughs) 10 months to to coach all of these boys so really focusing on two or three a session or two or three for a week and then the next two or three I found that much more successful and then there's a way where you can tie in what you're working on to say Um, you're working on switching of play. Well, that's a really nice topic to focus for my centre midfielders. So when we're doing switch of play, whether that's for a week or a few weeks, then I'm going to really work with these three or four midfielders on, you know, angle and body shape and and my passing range and positioning as the three and the relationships in the three, because those two tie together. Mm. So it's not like, do I do individuals or team? I I do both. And then maybe when you're doing playing out from the back, then your primary players would be, you know, the goalkeeper, central defenders, and then you might move up in the weeks into your holding player and your fullback. So there is a way where if you're smart and you've got a curriculum or you've got, you know, a planned scheme of work, you can say, these individuals linking well to this curriculum and and, and in this way I can work with these boys' targets. Mm. Um, I I found that to be more successful than trying to go, right, what's Dave's target? What's Billy's target? What's Jimmy's target every single week? You just end up in a spin and, and kind of going off topic and... Um, it can be confusing for the players, I think.
0: It can be. And I think also from a session design perspective, um, just to kind of keep tying back to that question, I don't think there's one type of um, practice. But if you look at any program you're working in, there may be an element, okay, we've got a pre-activation, then we may have a warm-up. You know, you may have an assistant coach working with you, so do you split the group? And I know we recorded recently on this uh, for the Q&A and the podcast. So how you balance that load between you is important. And it might be that on the night, The players are going really well in one particular practice and you go, actually, the the flow is really good here. So we'll just leave that other bit that we had planned. So while you might come in with, let's say, a warm-up, perhaps a positional game or a passing practice leading into whatever the next part of that session is, whether it's a small-sided game or a function or you split off and do position-specific, being flexible within that is key. And I think this kind of leads a little bit into the curriculum um conversation and 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 what what our views are on that there's there's plenty to talk about there in terms of the way you plan your sessions because a lot of coaches will be working in clubs whether grassroots or whether academies where they have to work to a body of work or they have to work towards a, a philosophy sometimes those things don't necessarily align personally and uh and with the club so you may be a little bit conflicted as to how you go and implement that um, so, so I guess it's really important to say that there's not one type of training session that you would put on every night, it may be relevant to the stage of the week, the physical load um, and the topics you're working on within that framework.
1: Yeah, it's quite complex, isn't it? I think the the curriculum can be um, constrictive if you've only got one or two sessions a week mm. because then it can be a challenge to, to help those individuals if the curriculum is something that they don't need or is something that's kind of too advanced for where they're at um you know we've talked a lot about the player being the syllabus and the yep. player should drive you know what the, what the sessions are um <clears throat> in my environment i'm fortunate because the boys train five times a week so, we, so we're able to kind of um flip between team-based uh, individual opposed unopposed 11 v 11 macro game Um, small sided 4v4s up to 77 so in that way you you can kind of do some curriculum sessions some completely Mm -hmm. around the individual some completely around the kind of match prep and and team-based stuff so it's quite quite an easy way to um hit all hit all boxes i think in a grassroots environment planning out every single session and and only having one session a week and and being completely um led by the curriculum can be can be a challenge. Oh, it probably wouldn't be something I would do. I would recommend kind of a 50-50 approach if I only had one session a week. Mm. Um, so you do need to leave space within that framework for, for what the kids need and, and what maybe what you're seeing on game days as well.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's something that I'm becoming a little bit more conflicted around is because... Is the curriculum for us? Is the curriculum for the players? So you mentioned the idea of the player being the syllabus and the player-centered approach and all of these things that we talk about within the PDP model and, and a lot of great contributors around the site talk about. Um, I think it's important that that curriculum doesn't dominate and that that goes for whether it's one or five sessions a week, in my opinion, because you need to be able to flex and almost um, the more experience you get, you can sort of smell how the week's going. You can feel how the players are going. Um, An example, you know, we had a very heavy session last night. It was an internal game. It was 11 v 11. It was hot. Um, So we will adjust the next session accordingly, um, 36 hours later, and we'll make sure that the, the players are not being, I guess, overly stretched in a physical sense, and maybe we just adjust the distances, maybe we shorten the session. All of those things are being considered. So the curriculum's still there, that framework's still there, um, but we're working within that to say, actually, this is what the players need. And I think as time goes on, I look at it more and more and think you must have a philosophy and you must have a framework, but it's got to be very, very flexible. It can't be too rigid in terms of you must deliver practice A, B, and C on the night to therefore have a good session. Um, so I guess that's a really important caveat on the idea of curriculums, just from my own personal opinion.
1: Mm, I mean, it's it's semantics, isn't it? But I think if you've got a playing style, a game model, yeah. um, tick targets, a philosophy, whatever kind of language you wanna use, as long as your sessions, in my opinion, as long as your sessions aren't going against what you wanna see in matches and what you wanna see this season and in five seasons time, I think that then, you, then you're on to a winner. So if you've got a principle-based, for example, you know, we want to play out from the back, we want to um, try and win the ball back within five seconds, you know, those kind of overarching principles, mm. then link it to what you said earlier about effective design or representative design, then you should be able to coach virtually every topic and every practice. If it, If it's got two goals and players running around and it looks a bit like football, then I should be able to coach... Um, securing first and second passes, or pressing from the front, or playing out from the back, mm. and I think less practices and players being familiar with the area size and what the game, you know, the game constraints or conditions are, means that you can say we're doing this game again, uh, off you go, and then you could say right today I'm going to focus on like I said, go back to those midfielders, or it could be, do we get width from you know fullbacks or wingers, because that might be one of our principles. Mm. Um, I, I'm getting more comfortable with that, so having some kind of overarching principles of how we're going to play, and then every time we practice, those principles should be in the practice most of the time. I'm, I'm obviously conscious of saying every time, and <laughs> it's not every time. Like, generally, we should have those principles yeah. in every
0: practice. And I think if you also look at going back to the question, the types of practices that we talk about. So, you know, a functional practice, a phase of play. There are different benefits that go with those practices. So perhaps tactically, you're working on something, and it's you know middle of the season, and perhaps you've seen something that or identified something as a coach that needs to be worked on. Well, maybe a phase of play um, is the most most relevant topic if it means we need to get lots of repetition of our back four defending in this area or our our front five playing in this area. So maybe a phase of Play is the most appropriate one a function for me is quite beneficial in that it can isolate and get a lot of repetition position specific stuff so let's say a winger v fullback with perhaps one center back inside and a goalkeeper or two center backs inside so it might be defending crosses and we just work that right channel maybe you've got a midfielder just getting lots of opportunity to play different types of pass into the winger and maybe there's a fullback overlapping to look at those combinations out there. Now, again, you can balance that function off relative to, do I want the attacking team to get success? Okay, well, I'll, I'll leave the fullback unmarked and give that player lots of chance to overlap, underlap, and make the forward runs if that's what we're working on. So functions for me is something I've always enjoyed doing because you can really get into that position-specific stuff. Small-sided game, a lot more chaos, um, you know, a lot more variety or variable outcomes within the game itself. So I think you've got to look at what are the benefits... Uh, what am I trying to achieve, and then choose from that menu of practices? In, in my opinion,
1: mm. it's it's such a it's such a complex question because you can even start with the game itself. So, if you were watching a, a film, I nearly said a tape. Then, if you're watching a film <laughs> of uh, your team playing, and it was an area you were trying to either you know um, get better at because it wasn't very good, or get better at because we're quite good at it and we want to be excellent. So where does it happen on the pitch? What is it? Where does it start? Who's involved? You know, that idea of who's James Bond and who's the lead, you know, the primary player. You know, there's, there's loads of different ways of attacking the same um, kind of problem here, isn't there? Because you could mm. just say, well, on Sundays it happens here mostly, so we we'll use that area of the pitch. It uses these players mostly, so we need those players. It starts here, so I need that player to start the practice. Mm. Normally we're trying to take on this amount of players, so we need this amount of defenders. Um, and then you know the idea of how does the game restart and the transitions because i think one of the challenges with phases and functions is that it becomes a bit um the players here would call it a bit dead cause yeah. it goes you attack and then there's the end so it's kind of that isn't the game so you've got to have <clears throat> that realistic restart and the motivation for the players defending to actually want to defend so yeah it's it's a it's a it's an interesting uh, question
0: certainly is and I th- i'm absolutely delighted you've dropped job- Drop the old uh, Ted Dale, James Bond analogy there. And I think thinking back to some of the courses we did um, up there at St. George's Park and the idea of the air going out of the balloon, you know, and, and that's the point you're trying to make, I think. Just to reiterate that, it's important to look at your practice design as how is the ball recycled, how is there incentive for the team defending or is there incentive for both teams to really put in and, and the an- analogy of the, the air going out of the practice and that balloon kind of being popped and that, that moment can be quite flat And make the practice quite unrealistic so certainly certainly nice to sort of uh, reflect on those ideas as well from a few years ago any final thoughts on this one for you mate yeah
1: just just whilst we're still on the topic of kind of phases and functions i think one of the the things that i probably missed for years and years was only coaching one team Mm. i think when you go through the coach education process certainly here in the uk you're encouraged to only coach one team and you're working in possession and you know this is this is my my plan and that's a bit silly when you think about it because on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday or a game day you want all of the players to do all of their jobs so I don't really agree with you know just coaching the in-possession team or just the out-possession team so you know, if you're working with an assistant, which is q and A Q&A we've done before, can you can you affect the players? So can you say, you know, you defenders, I want you to defend really compact, and I want you to get practice of you know narrowing those lines and making sure the team go outside, and then the in possession team might be trying to break a block. Mm. So it's just making sure you're not missing those learning opportunities. I think for for all the players, um, without kind of ramming in too much, you know, making it too complex and too too many, you know, having 48 learning outcomes and. and heads spinning in the practice, I think.
0: Absolutely. Got to let the ball roll and, uh, and give the players a chance to fail. So, Dan, thank you very much for your time. I hope we've helped Elliot with that question. Lots of ideas there, at least for discussion and, and debate. And uh, we will look forward to another Player Development Project Q&A very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.